Hello and welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast. today on the podcast. I'm excited for this one. This is one of the most fun conversations I've had. We are joined by 2003 World Series of Poker main event champion Chris Moneymaker, who was the face of the poker craze in 2003 when he won the title. And I think you have to put him on the Mount Rushmore of poker when you consider what his World Series win meant to what poker became and what poker is today. Not to mention, Chris is just an all-around good dude, and we talk about a lot of fun stuff, and uh, I can't wait for our fantasy baseball rivalry to begin very soon. So here you go, Chris Moneymaker on the Colby Daniels Podcast. My guest today is Chris Moneymaker, 2003 World Series of Poker Champion and uh, Tennessee Vol oh. alum. Chris, I'm what's going that. on, man? Oh, not much, you know, I just doing the same as you are. Obviously I got the same haircut as you do now, Um, but life's pretty good overall, I guess. So I I knew that you were a Tennessee guy and I'm in Oklahoma city. I've covered the Oklahoma Sooners for the last six years. And if everything reopens the way that, that it's supposed to, Tennessee is going to be playing Oklahoma, I think September 12th. Yeah. Um, That's not good for Tennessee. <laughs> you know, we we had some good rivalries back, you know, a couple of years ago, and then uh, I, we just we've kind of fallen off the radar here. It's it's pretty sad to be a Tennessee fan uh, right now. Um, hopefully, things are trending in the right direction, but um, maybe if they just cancel it this year, maybe we'll be better next year. I don't know. There you go. Uh, are, do you guys still hate Lane Kiffin? Is that still a thing? I never hated Lane Kiffin. I mean, personally, I mean, he got he got offered his dream job. I mean, can't. Ha- I mean, I don't like the way he did it, but I, I mean, I think a lot of Tennessee fans are still hurt about it. But I mean, you know, when you get offered the job that you've been waiting your whole life for, you you take it. Yeah. And uh, you know, if I had a choice to coach it out in L.A. or coach in Knoxville, I'd probably go to L.A. too. It's uh, yeah, real. it's a, it's a it's an easy sell. <laughs> So you were you were at Tennessee at the same time as Peyton Manning, right? I was, yeah. He actually lived in the apartment beneath me. Were you guys did you... Consequ- consequently T Martin moved in afterwards after he won the <laughs> national title, by the way. Which I found odd. That's pretty great. Have you uh, have you ever talked to him about uh, two thousand three and the fact that you had a better year than he did? <laughs> I'll be honest, I've only met him twice. Um he know, I found out he knows who I am, but we, like, we weren't like super friendly. You know, he was obviously super busy and I was in school and I mean, we, we crossed paths a few times, but it's not like we were, we're friends. I mean, I was basically a nobody back in school um, and he was Peyton Manning. So um, yeah, it's not like we were just hanging out, you know, drinking beers together and having fun. He, he, he was a superstar already. I was just some random dude living above him. So I, I want to get the whole origin story about how you got into poker and all that, but you are with Poker Stars now, right? That is correct. Yeah, I've been with Poker Stars ever since I won back in two thousand three. Um, great company to be with. Very happy, and you know, it's made this quarantine time uh, relatively easy for me. I guess is the uh, if it can be easy. 
that's yeah. I, I don't think it's easy on anybody, but at least at least in your industry, I mean, it kind of the way you got started was online poker. So I imagine in some way it feels natural. Um, well, yeah, unfortunately, I can't play online poker where I'm located right now, so that's kind of stinks. But uh, they came out with all these different inventions of virtual reality poker and home games that I've been playing a lot of. I actually play a lot on Zoom. We have a, a group of friends that will play in home games or free tournaments on Poker Stars, but we all get together like this on Zoom and, you know, sort of shoot the shit, if you will, and, you know, pick up, pick up fun at each other. So it's our way of being able to be, be together and, uh, not be together i guess yes how much how much joy do your friends get out of of taking you out of a tournament or anything like that when you guys play at home it doesn't happen so i don't know (laughs) um my friends can't beat me that's a great answer you know it, it used to be it used to be a huge thing but unfortunately how poker tournaments work i mean it doesn't matter how good you are poker tournaments each individual poker tournament you have there's a a luck factor that goes into it every time the blinds go up the luck factor goes up so i think they've gotten used to the fact that i'm going to not win every tournament i do do pretty well in in, in the group but um i stuff i definitely still get knocked out and they they cheer when i get knocked out um they laugh at me a little bit which is fun Keeps, keeps me level-headed, I guess. <laughs> oh, no, I, was, I said I've got some pretty good friends in my poker group. So um, I, one of my friends, he got 31st in the main event, cash five years in a row. And, I mean, he plays pretty full-time. So um, he knows what he's doing, and he's, he's getting there. So what is the Chris Moneymaker origin story? How did you get started? What was what was the draw to, to the whole thing? Well, basically, you know, I was a gambler growing up. I, I, I was always into sports and the things like that. And, I, and when I got to the age of 21, I was able to go into a casino. Um, I played blackjack, craps, you know, all, all the pit games. Um, and I always left the casino broke, to be honest. I mean, I was just never very good at any of them, which I don't know if anybody really is. Um, but I discovered poker around the time rounders came out. And... At the time, Tunica had a small poker room. It was in the back. They didn't run that many games. It was all limit hold'em. But I went back there, sat with those guys, and uh, figured out I could be in a casino for eight hours and not go broke. And that was a winner to me. Um, Ended up making some money the first time I played. Um, You know, me and my friends were playing all these wild card games. We ended up playing hold'em for a while. And uh, while I was down tunica at one at one time a guy told me you know you can play on a a site called poker stars and this was about 2002 so i went back to nashville where i was living about a four-hour drive back and i downloaded poker stars and signed up started playing and uh the rest is history i guess as you say i won my seat shortly thereafter into the world series and uh went and pulled a miracle so is is Hold'em the the game that you dominantly play, or do you do you play other events? I know uh, I, I've seen you do other events, but do you feel like you're as good at the at the other events as you are at Hold'em? It, it's funny because when I play eight game mix, people ask me what's my weakest game, and I probably tell them Hold'em. Um, I th- I feel like I'm better at all the other games. Um, they're just a ton easier, to be honest. Um, all the games are so easy to pick up and they come pretty naturally. We always played wild games. We always played all these different games. So uh, I like playing the eight game mix and I do believe that Norman Holm is probably my weakest one of the, of the games. So I, I remember vaguely 
watching the 2002 World Series of Poker on ESPN, and I think that was the first year they had picked it up. And and Robert Varconi wins, and like I said, it was kind of a vague memory, but like the next year, it just goes crazy. Did you get a sense going into that 2003 main event that it was already kind of trending in that direction? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I remember watching the Robert Marconi year. It was the first year they actually had whole card cams. They had, you know, if you watch some of the older coverage with Stu Unger and stuff, it is the worst TV ever because you can't see what they have. And this Varconi's year was actually the first year that they did the whole card cam. And they did a two, two-part two series, which they had never done before, and they featured the final table. Um, the reason the poker didn't take off at that point is because Varconi, even though he was an amateur, um, he was an MIT guy. He was super smart, and people just couldn't relate to him. Um, the reason my years kind of took off is because they see a dumb hit from Tennessee win it, and they figure if I can do it, they can do it. And they end up – it made it a seven-part series. It was the first time it was a seven-part series, um, and they edited it down and actually told a really good story alongside with it. Um, you know, what you see in today's poker is they air it usually um, 30 minutes after the fact or in real time. Uh, where back then, they we uh, I think it was in March is when it um, happened and it didn't air until August. So they knew the results. They knew how to create the stories. And they went and actually told stories throughout the event. And that made it really compelling. And then the final piece of it was the NHL lockout was going on around the same time. Um, as it started airing and um, that ESPN like kind of like now didn't have anything else to put on TV. So they put what, what was getting ratings and that was my, my poker series. And uh, you know, a whole generation of poker players was born. So going into that main event, I've heard you say that you only knew a handful of players, but as, as that thing went on, I, I'm sure that you heard people talk about other players. Like as the days went on through that deal, like what was the, what was the feeling on your side of things when you're playing guys like Phil Ivy and, and you know, the other big names that you saw throughout the event? So, you know, again, I, I only knew three names during the world series during that time. I knew Phil Helmuth, Doyle Brunson, and Jonathan Chan. Um, those are the only three players I knew. Um, so I was, I won my seat on poker stars and poker stars had a representative by the name of Dan Goldman out there. He was the marketing director and, um, uh, he was pretty in tune with the industry. So what would happen, we would usually play till about midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And then I would be done at the night at, at the end of the evening. I would be done. And I would go play $1, $2, no limit hold them until about four thirty in the morning because that's when the list came out for the next day of seating assignments and who was going to be at your table. And I would immediately take that list to Dan Goldman and say, Hey, who's good? Who, who, who's who? And, you know, I remember him telling me, you know, Howard letter was good. Uh, Paul Darden was good. Phil Ivey was good. You know, he would tell me, you know, who to kind of, you know, who he knew, who he had heard of and who was sort of um, making waves on the scene at that time. Um, you know, it was not, reported on like it is today and it was you know there no one really knew uh the majority of the players but he was in tune and he kind of updated uh, basically who to pay attention to and who to watch out for and uh be cautious with and even like someone like scotty Wynn, he told me you know scotty wins is a, is a former world champion i didn't know who scotty Wynn was um uh, Dan Harrington was on my day one table, had no idea. But on day one, I wasn't asking uh, Dan Goldman this information yet because um, I hadn't, I guess, made it that far. So he didn't even know. Like when I when I got out to Vegas, I met Dan Goldman and Rich Corbin, two guys from Poker Stars. They were sitting in a hotel room. There were 16 of us that Poker Stars brought out. 
out of one seat to the main event. They gave us our bag. They wished us good luck, and I'm assuming that you know they were just going to try and pick up whoever started making a run, and I was the one that made the run. So they started paying a lot of attention to me and helping me out. You know, bringing me drinks, bringing me food, whatever I needed. They were there to you know try to help me along the way. So you mentioned staying up late. Is is there partying at, at night during these events, or is, is are for the most part, are are you trying to get rest, or how, how's that work? Um, well, it, it depends. Back then, there was uh, that one year there was no partying. It was just you know basically trying to stay up until the list came out. Um, for about a decade after the fact, then yes, there was definitely a lot of partying. Um, but today, no, there's no partying. I'm partied out. I've I've done all the drinking and partying I, I, I really want to do. I, I actually quit drinking and um, I, get, I get sleep. You know, I'm a little bit older now, so I have to actually get rest. I mean, these days, um, even though you're just sitting in a chair for 12, 14 hours, it, it does wear on you. And uh, I can't do what I used to be able to do, go out and um, party all night and go the next day. I remember, it, you know, playing NBC Heads Up. I was out 24 hours, you know, before playing those events, just out having a blast um, and coming in playing, um, you know, straight in from, from the clubs. And it, it was tough. It, um, I don't even know how I made it through a, co- a couple of the events, but um, I can't do that anymore. It's definitely a, a, a different a different Chris Moneymaker now. It had to be a shock. I mean, going from, you know, what, what life you were living to winning the World Series and then at some point you got to kind of just embrace all the, the craziness and, and wildlife, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I was a an accountant. I was sort of a behind-the-scenes guy, I guess. I wasn't really – I couldn't do this interview, honestly, like in 2003. I was really shy, really nervous doing public speaking or any kind of interviews. And you go from that to, you know, being thrown in the limelight and going on, uh, you know, Jimmy Kimmel, going on uh, David Letterman and, and doing, you know, Good Morning America, all these things. And, um yeah, you just you kind of have to embrace it or shy. You either you either run with it or you go back and retreat into your hole, I guess. Which my initial um, reaction when they told me the first show I ever went on was David Letterman. I just told him no way in hell. I'm not doing it. I'd rather just go play golf and and avoid everything else. Um, thank goodness I had really good friends and they talked me into it and they said you have to do it. You know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, after doing that, when it got easier, and uh, I consider and talk to you without, you know, having butterflies and wanting to throw up. <laughs> was there a moment in that 2003 thing where you just thought, you know what, I, I got this, I, I think I can win this thing? Like, d- was there a defining moment throughout the course of that deal where that kind of like was your thought process, or was it just a slow burn type deal? It was mostly a slow burn. If there was one, a aha moment like okay i've got a chance it's when i knocked out johnny chan um it was day three it's still pretty early in the tournament but johnny chan at the time was described as the perfect poker player i mean he was the guy that everybody was like wow this guy is the best and when you knock out the best and you realize that you know he put his money in in a bad spot uh it just woke me up to the fact that these guys are making more plays than I realized. And I went from playing really, really tight conservative to mixing it up a little bit and trying to, to make some moves and, and realizing that, you know, cause again, I thought all these guys were just like looking at my cards through my eyes. Like they could read my soul and know exactly what I have. And so I had to be really careful and just, you know, never give away any information. Um, and then Johnny Chan puts it in when I have, 
just a monster hand. And it was a, it was just kind of a wake up call to me that, you know, they can't see through my cards. They, they play the same cards I'm playing. They've just been playing them better than me, or they play them better than other people. So it gave me a lot of confidence, I guess. And that was the moment that, you know, like, I've got a shot. Kind of the, the Rocky cuts Drago moment, and it's like, he's not a, he's not yeah. a machine, he's a human. The, Rus- the Russian is cut. The Russian <laughs> is cut. Yeah. By the way, best Rocky movie of them all is Rocky Four. By far. Yeah. I agree. Thank 100%. you. Thank you. I preach this all the time, and I get backlash because apparently, I, I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but apparently Rocky won... Won an Oscar and it's great, but I mean, Rocky defeats communism for crying out loud in Rocky Four, and and all the montages are exceptional. Yes, montages, the scene, everything, everything about Rocky Four is great. There's so many bad things about some of the other Rocky. I like all the Rocky. Well, I can't say I like all of them. I like all the first four Rocky movies, but there's so many slow scenes and, and scenes that are pointless in the first three. Um, my favorite villain is Clubber Lang, though. He is he is the best. Mr. Great T, villain. Can't beat it. Great villain. Yep. All right, so back to poker. So 2003, it just like phenomenon that is everywhere. Everybody I knew is playing poker. We're having poker games on Friday and Saturday nights. Like we would we would go to the bar and have drinks. And we're like, you know what? Let's go back home and have a big poker game. Like that, that was just like how life was for a couple years there. Did you notice a slowdown? And, and what has kind of been the peaks and valleys of, of poker since 2003? Well, obviously, you know, right after I won, um, it was about six months before it hit the, hit the TV screen. I went back to work. Everything was kind of back to normal as far as, you know, my everyday life, other than the fact that everybody around me knew that I had won. And, you know, it my, my center of friends was, was definitely different. But everything else around me in the world was kind of still the same because it hadn't aired on TV yet and it hadn't really taken off. So for the first six months, it was kind of normal. And then it started airing on TV. It kept airing on TV. I started doing interviews. Uh, the next tournament I went and played, I got second in. And my the owner of the restaurant where I worked for basically came in and said, if you don't quit, I'm going to fire you. You need to be doing something else. You don't need to be sitting here working this. Um, and then I could definitely see the growth just start happening. You go out to the World Series the next year, and it was literally eight hours to get to play a sit-and-go. I mean, you couldn't even get on a table because it was at Binion still. And the amount of people that had shown up was just insane. We had 2,500 people the next year. The year I went, we had 839 for the main event. Um, the next year, we actually moved it over to the Rio. Harris bought it. So they were able to host more people. But then it became just a carnival atmosphere. There was, you know, Maxim and Playboy and I was having parties all the time at, at, you know, before the main event. It was, I mean, it was really, you could tell 2005 to 2008, it was taking hold and everybody was playing it. Like you said, every single person the age of, you know, 18 to 45 was playing poker. I mean, I would do charity events with uh, NFL stars and NBA stars and all the kids were coming up to me, uh, you know, because I was who they looked up to and they wanted to be like, uh, I guess, because, you know, you can't go play basketball like LeBron or Michael Jordan or whatever, but you can play poker like me. Um, so anyway, so you could definitely see the rise of poker and, and the big growth. And then we had uh, what was called, what I guess the poker industry calls Black Friday, is when the UIGA, the U.S. government, shut down online poker. And uh, unfortunately, that slowed the growth of poker drastically because it took poker out of your homes and took away a lot of the advertising dollars. Um, so a lot of the tournaments went away, a lot of the, you know, the fun events like NBC Heads Up, some of the shows like Shark Cage and things like that kind of went off air and uh, people started doing other things and poker sort of suffered for a couple of years. And 
you know, it's been, you know, we were never going to keep that rise that we had going of popularity. I mean, we went through, I mean, we went from 839 people to almost 8,000 people in the main event. Um, and we're still, you know, each year we're having six to 7,000 people in the main event. So it's not like poker's dying off. It's just uh, sort of plateaued, I guess is the best way to put it. But, you know, it's, it's still a great sport. And the good, the good thing about it is, is you don't have to play it for money. It's, it's a great thing just to play with your friends. Great thing to, you know socialize with i mean people ask me all the time am i going to teach my kids to play and i my answer is always yes i think it's a great game from a social aspect i don't want them to be professional poker players but at the same time i think it's a great thing for math and i think it's a great thing for you know making friends and being social what do you listen to when you're playing poker well to be honest i try to engage the table or play with you know talk to people when i'm playing um but if i'm playing online um it's usually going to be a lot of you know i'm a 80s guy grew up listening to um a lot of stuff from from that time frame which you know when i was back in 03 wasn't that long ago but now it's like freaking the golden oldies <laughs> so I, I listen to a lot of 80s and 90s music um i listen to some 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 contemporary stuff but i'm an old fuddy-duddy now i i would never i never thought i was going to be my dad listening to the old the old tunes and making my kids listen to, to older stuff. But I guess, I guess that, that's me now. So you talk to people during tournaments. Do you ever trash talk anybody? Is there trash talk involved? I mean, of course there's trash talk involved, but most of it's, you know, sort of poking fun at, at, at people. It's, uh, you know, it's, you see all these guys at the same stops. So, you know, poker is a, is a big community, but the people that travel the circuit and play a lot, they, everybody kind of knows each other everybody goes out drinking after the fact and, you know, has fun afterwards. It, it's funny because poker is a zero sum game. Everybody's trying to, to take everybody else's money. But at the end of the day, it's a big community that people get along fine. And a lot of the trash talk is just uh, more fun. And it's, uh, there's not a whole lot in, that, in, in today's game, of, you know, super rivalries back in the day when they had more characters, I would say there, there were more rivalries and more, more things that um, bother people, I guess. But now, it's, it's a little bit more, I guess, relaxed and people are just, you know, focused on trying to make the best decision and make the most money. You're obviously recognizable at a, at a poker table. So I, I would imagine that everybody playing against you is going to get a thrill to try and take out Chris Moneymaker. Does that, or, or I guess how, I guess is the question, how does that maybe change the way you approach events? Well, it's really easy to play as me because people are going to play what's called polarized against me. They're either going to go out of their way to bust me or they're going to go out of their way to stay out of my way. And it's pretty easy to figure out what people are doing pretty early. And so I'll just know who do I, who I can bluff and who I can pick on and who I need to have a big hand with and, and you know, let them try to bluff me. Um, it actually took me a while to develop, you know, that the ability to see who's doing what because I'd always played watching what people did and just extrapolating that to what they would do with me. Um, but then I had to realize that people play against me differently. They don't play against me the same way they would play against you. The, they do want the story or they want, or they want to stay out of my way. Some people just want to avoid me altogether. Most people want to come at me though. I mean, I can, you know, I'm, I'll never forget. I was in a tournament and I could see this guy just, basically mad dog i mean at the, on the table like man I, I why why are you gonna do this man i mean i know you're about ready to make a play at me i mean i can see it in your eyes you're just you're just waiting to make this play very next hand he tries to make a play and i call him down with a side and bust him out of the tournament it's like man i told you you were gonna do it and you still did it anyways um yes you can just see it in people they you know they'll, they'll start bowing up and he's like you know he's gonna he's gonna do something stupid here and uh I guess over time, you just start to get used to it. You see people that 
you know, they'll look at their hands, they'll look at you, and you just know they're coming at you. So you just learn to adapt. When you're playing a, a, a tournament, you sit at that first table. It, what is the timeline on, and it's probably different for every tournament, but is there kind of like a, a standard timeline on about how long it kind of takes you to get a good feel for what's happening? I mean, yeah, it's usually about 30 minutes. After 30 minutes, you kind of figure out who's going to be overly tired, who's going to be who you want to bluff, who you don't want to bluff, what how, how people are playing, what their skill level are. I mean, you just look at how they handle their chips, how they handle their cards, what their betting sizes are, um, just how they interact at the table. I mean, there's a lot of people before they even play start. I mean, first of all, I'm going to know some players. And then the players that I don't know, you look for things like, are they showing up with a backpack? Anybody that shows up with a backpack generally knows what they're doing. Um, there's, there's giveaways as far as how they're dressed, what, you know, what kind of watch they're wearing, things that nature. People show up with Rolexes a lot of times with the guys that you want to sort of target and play against. Um, you know, I do a lot of profiling as people sit down at the table. And uh, so, you know, you can pretty much figure out pretty quickly who, you know, the people you want to target are. Now, I will say back in the day, you could target like eight people at the table because there's so many bad players. But now players are pretty good. Everybody's pretty educated. People look deceptive. I mean, 10 years ago, you want to avoid all the guys that were younger and you could feast on the older guys um, because the younger guys worked hard at the game and they practiced and they, they, they studied and they, they improved. The, the older guys, generally, they've been playing forever and they, weren't, they thought they were good and they never really studied the game. Um, but that's changed over time. I mean, there's – you know, you have to really sit down and actually play with the players now. They're usually only a couple of players at the table that are just like, you know, bad that you can just, you know, um, exploit really badly. Um, most of the other players are competent and you have to be careful and they're creative and they're smart. And so you have to, you know, dodge and weave a little bit and, you know, pick your spots. When people talk about luck in the game and, and how much that factors into not, not just your win, but any win in general, what do you say to that? What is the, I guess, what's the response to how much luck plays into any given tournament? Well, any given tournament, you, there's going to be a luck factor. And that, that's what makes poker great. I mean, if, if the best players always won, then no one would ever play poker. I mean, it would just kind of be pointless. I mean, you just go play chess or, uh, you know, some other skill game. Uh, the luck factor is what keeps everybody coming back. Um, and basically every time the blinds go up, which usually happens anywhere between 15 minutes to two hours, depending upon the tournament you're playing in, that luck factor goes up because those blinds going up force you to make moves that you normally wouldn't make. It forces you to play hands that you may not normally play because if you don't, then you're going to blind yourself out and run out of chips. So by raising the blinds, it's forcing everybody else to gamble a little bit. And that gambling is where, is where a lot of the luck comes in. But I will say, if, say, for example, me and you were to go play poker tonight. Well, you might beat me tonight. We, you know, we might go play and you might beat me. But if we mean you play every single night for the rest of this month, I'm going to take every dollar you have. I mean, eventually the better player is always going to win. I mean, that it's a zero-sum game in the fact that, you know, we're taking each other's money and the more experienced player is always going to win. It doesn't have to be um, all the time, but over – I mean, it's basically, you know, if we're flipping a coin, it's a math game. If we're flipping a coin and you give me 52% edge and you're taking 48% every time, over time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to end up winning all your money. It's just – that's just how it works. That's, that, that's how the game works. But the good thing is, is – um, the, the number of, of that, you know, over time is going to be because you're playing so many different opponents, you're playing so many tournaments that that luck goes up a lot of time. You know, a guy like Chris Moneymaker can win the main event and, you know, everybody else gets to play. 
Are you one of those guys that just has a disgusting memory where you can remember exactly what you were holding on certain hands and like what came on the turn and what came on the river and all of that stuff? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I think any good poker player remembers, you know, golfers can remember golf shots from 10 years ago. I can remember poker hands. I mean, I, I remember I played with a guy in Australia one year and he made a mistake in a hand and I played with him the exact same, the same guy the next year. And uh, he played the hand the correct way this time. And I said, oh, you learned from last year, did you? It's like, how the hell do you remember that? Like, I just, you know, I can't remember what I had for breakfast. I can't remember my wife's anniversary. I can't remember my kid's birthday sometimes. But I can remember poker hands from 10 years ago. Go figure. What's the poker hand that stands out? Other than the World Series win, what's the poker hand that stands out to you the most that you can remember the most vividly? I mean, it's got to be the hand with Ben Affleck. I mean, first of all, it was the opponent I was playing against. Second of all, it's the biggest cash game hand I'd ever won in my life. Um, I ended up uh, making a flush on the end when he made three of a kind. And uh, it was like 4 o'clock in the morning at the Palms. We were pretty tired, but um, he had just ordered McDonald's. He was over there just chewing away on his McDonald's and – we went all in, and I won a really nice size pot. It was a fun hand, and um, I mean, there's a lot of hands I remember, but you know that that one has to be my favorite based on the opponent and um, the size of the pot. Okay, so hypothetical, you're grinding. It's been a long day. You've been playing for hours, but you're you're rolling along. You're playing really well, and all of a sudden the deuce hits you. What do you do? You go. You you you. You're talking about you have to go. You have yeah, to take the deuce. Yeah. You go take. You, you you go. You get up and go. I mean, I, I'm a big. You know, you got to be comfortable when you're at the table. I mean, you don't you don't sit there and just let it turtle. That's not that's not good. <laughs> Fair enough. I just you know everybody has superstitions, so I didn't know if you're rolling along, if you're just gonna, you know, do what you got to do until until maybe that that uh, superstition is gone. I'm not a I'm not a superstitious player. It's all one big. Um, level for me so if I'm running good one night I mean usually when you're running good you're playing against players that are either um inferior or they're just not running very well that night whatever it usually doesn't turn um and you you know once you start playing good you get in a zone so getting up and I, I routinely get up and you know walk around check scores talk to people um so getting up and going to the bathroom is not going to affect anything and uh, I used to smoke, so I would always go for smoke breaks all the time. Thank God I quit that. But, um, no, I mean, you want to be comfortable at the table. And that, I think that's staying in that zone is, you know, being comfortable at the table. Do what you need to do. If you take a bad beat, you know, one of the biggest things you could do is get up and walk away and go talk to some people, clear your head, and come back fresh. Um, obviously, when you're running good and you're winning, you don't want to really get up and walk away too much. But at the same time, you want to be comfortable. You don't want to be thinking about having to go to the restroom or, being thirsty or, you know, what, what the score in the Vols game are, you know, if you put money on it or something. Are there moments where you, you just know you don't have it that night or that day or whatever? Like you just, you're just like, man, I just, I, I'm not feeling it today. I don't, I don't have whatever it is. Oh, of course. I mean, that's just, that's part of poker. I mean, I'll sit down on the table and I'll, you know, when you're sitting at the table, you're always trying to put, you, you should be always trying to put your hand, your opponents on a range of hands. And so when you see their hands and you're, if you're seeing things clearly, then you're, you know, you're kind of in the zone, you're playing well. And there are some days, you know, like, okay, that guy has ace king and he shows deuce seven. And you're just like, wow, okay, that sucked. And then the next one you miss and the next one you miss. And, you know, anytime I have days like that, if I'm playing a tournament where you can't leave, I just try to play, you know, straight ABC 
um, GTO, you know, play optimal poker. Don't try to exploit. Don't try to outplay people. Just play to get through the day. Just try to survive. Um, if I'm playing a cash game, usually I'll just get up and walk away and just play another day or find a different table. Maybe it's the people that I'm playing with. Or I, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why you may not be able to feel it right then. Maybe I'll go grab some to eat. I'm a big guy. I like to eat. Maybe that'll make me happy. Um, but yeah, there are definitely days where you wake up and you have it and days when you wake up and you play the, the worst ever. I mean, you know, people ask me all the time who the best poker player in the world is. And I've played with the best. I mean, I've played with, you know, maybe Phil, Phil Ivey might be somebody that says he's the best. Well, I've played with him when he is superhuman and just does things that just will blow your mind. And I've also played with them when I think my eight-year-old could beat him. I mean, it's just, you know, some days you have it, some days you don't. It's a mental game, and um, it's not something where you can just turn on. I mean, uh, I can't tell you how many online sessions I'll go back and review after I've played, and I'll just be like, what in the hell were you thinking? I mean, why, why would you call or why would you do this play? I mean, and you don't realize it in the time. Um, it's easier to realize live because, again, when you're trying to put people on ranges, you can set, kind of identify it. But playing online, it can be difficult. You don't really see it as often. Um, but that's one of the skills of being a professional poker player is knowing when to quit and when to take a break and realize that you're not playing your A game and to stop registering for tournaments, stop you know, trying to chase it and just call it a day and come back tomorrow. So you punched your ticket with online tournaments back in 2003. I, I don't know if you were, were you playing many live games? And, and if so, or if not, how big of an adjustment was it winning your way into the World Series online versus, you know, being at a table in, in that sort of atmosphere? Well, again, this is kind of a long time ago, but uh, people don't remember there was no such thing as no limit hold'em in a, in a casino back then. If you went to a casino, you were only playing limit. And the casino I played at in Tunica, they actually wrote on the wall, it, it was written, checking and raising is not allowed. You couldn't check raise. So you had to bet your hand. So to go and play online in tournaments was a, was a drastic change. And to go out and play during the World Series was a huge change because they're playing no limit hold'em. No, again, no limit hold'em was not a game that was played anywhere. Um, they considered no limit hold'em, they thought that it killed people's bankroll too fast. All the good players won and all the bad players lost so fast. So basically all the casinos that had poker spread limit poker. And to be honest, there weren't that many poker rooms. I mean, most casinos were shutting down poker rooms. People didn't want to play poker. It was very, very hard to find a poker room and you could never find poker tournaments. I mean, I played the first poker tournament I played was the World Series of Poker. The first live one was the World Series of Poker in March. And I didn't play another poker tournament until like next February um, because there just wasn't many poker tournaments going on. It was very rare to, to see poker tournaments. There was no daily poker tournaments. You couldn't just go down to your local casino and just jump in a daily tournament. They, those didn't exist. And, that you know, it's just such a different world than what we lived in last year. I know this year is kind of sort of jacked, but, um, you know, up until 2019, you could walk, you could walk into any, almost any casino and you'd have a daily tournament going on or some kind of poker tournament going on, which was just not the case back then. It was uh, maybe a couple months after your World Series win, at, well, at least after it was shown on television, that, that a, a few of my buddies and I rented a car, we drove to Vegas, and we were all excited to go play poker. And so we get there and we, we get our table and literally at that point in time, I mean, like you said earlier, there was a wait to get on any table at that point in time. But 
every single table, there would be like six dudes that would get all the way to the river. And it was just like maddening because it was just throwing your money in every hand, no matter what you had, because everybody was there to just, you know, it was the poker craze and everybody was there to think they were better than everybody. And it, it was, uh, it was wild. Uh, yeah, honestly, it was the best time. I mean, you know, I, I used to tell people I could teach someone how to play poker in an hour, sit in the casino and they could make money. I mean, you really didn't even have to know how to play poker to, to be profitable in the game. Anybody that didn't make money back then probably should never have been playing in the first place. Um, yeah, it was just printing money anytime you went to a casino for about 10 years. It was incredible. I just want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a hot tub time machine by chance? Um, I, if I did, you don't think I, I would be in it right now going somewhere <laughs> else. First of all, I'd be out of 2020. That's for damn sure. I would just skip this whole year. Second of all, I'd probably just live in probably 2005, 2006. Amen to that. Okay, better time machine, the DeLorean or hot tub time machine? Well, I mean, yeah, I have the, I, personally, I mean, you know, the hot tub's cool and all, but I want the DeLorean so I can get away from people. I mean, people are going to try to steal your, they find out you have a time machine, they're going to steal it. And I, I don't know how you're going to move a, a hot tub. So <laughs> give me the DeLorean so I can hide it and keep it all to myself. Fair I enough. I send all my, all my enemies to 2020. <laughs> now that, that is maybe the most savage thing I've heard in 2020. <laughs> you know, life's tough sometimes, you know. People wish you go to hell. Uh, I just wish you go to 2020. Right, go experience 2020 and come back to me. What are you doing when you're not playing poker these days? <laughs> well, it's different now because I'm, I'm put, building a garden. I've got three kids at home that don't go to school. So we're you know kind of homeschooling, if you will. We're working on keeping our sports active. So we're out juggling and shooting. We have a gold set up out back and um, riding bikes. We go on walks. I mean, it doesn't look like it, but I do actually do a little bit of physical activity. Um, but a lot, I mean, honestly, it's just a, you know, we cook dinner every night together, which is really weird. And then we sleep till probably 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, usually I'm getting up at six or seven, getting kids off to school and, you know, full days like that. And honestly, by now, I mean, we get up at 10 and we do all this stuff. And then at night, I'm usually playing home games with my friends or someone will write me a message saying, Hey, we have a home game. Can you come jump on? Like Maria Ho sent me one. She's another professional player. She has some celebrities in her game. And, you know, they had it actually had it last night where you get on and, you know, everybody gets on Zoom. And it's just sort of the new way that we're all playing poker now is uh, to get on home games and play, play as friends and just interact with people. So at, at nighttime is usually when I'll do that and then we'll watch some shows and then just sort of rinse and repeat for the next day we play a lot of playstation me and my son we play some Fortnite. my my daughters do spa nights and uh, so it's definitely a different life than what it has been but it's it's a nice change i'll be honest it's, it's nice to be home i will say i've got it better than 99 percent of the people out there going through this time um i'm i'm, I'm comfortable and you know i've got great family we, we get to spread out a little bit and um so i can't complain too much i am ready to get back to normal now traveling a little bit playing a little bit of poker seeing people other than my family as much as i love them <laughs> um it would be nice to see someone other than these four people that i see on a daily basis but uh overall it's it's been a change but it's not the end of the world has the wife discovered any pet peeves that that she hadn't discovered before all this you know fortunately no um we spent a lot of time together before we got married. I mean, we basically traveled and did everything together for 24 hours. We lived with each other constantly, all the time. 
So we kind of really got to know each other, and I could not ask for a better person to be around during this time. Um, I wish she was a little bit better at cutting hair, but outside of that, um, it's been a real blessing. I mean, she's very level-headed. We, we sort of agree on a lot of the, the same things as far as um, quarantining and protecting our children, and uh, we see a lot out of the politics the same way and all so it just makes it easier her in-laws are on the opposite end of the spectrum so her her my uh, me and my her father-in-law we don't see eye to eye on the political <laughs> side so it's always a fun adventure we get down to her house their house but uh no we get along great it's been uh really good i've only wanted to kill her twice the entire time and i think she's only probably wanted to kill me once or twice so over a four-month period that's pretty good well, that's better than me. So you're you're doing something right. Wait, uh, what, what, what's your wife's What's your wife's pet peeve with you? Uh, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a three to six show, so I, I'm at home a lot anyway. But now, you know, it's it's home 24 hours a day. There's no sports to you know dive into in the evenings. So I'm just kind of wandering around, and you know, I I don't do the dishes right, and uh, there's always something that I've left behind. And yeah, no, it's but but it's it, you know to your point. I think when you know somebody, there's going to be there's going to be those things that annoy you. But we've spent so much time together be- with my schedule anyway. I was home so much. So, so you're not doing reporting on the Korean baseball? <laughs> no, although I did I did really appreciate the fact that they they had the cardboard cutouts in the stands and pumped in the crowd noise. That's what you guys need to do on your Zoom tournaments. You know, if we ever get back to where we're playing and we can't have anybody around, then yeah, that might have to be a thing. Because honestly, that's it does add a little bit to it as much as you joke about it. I mean, it seems, you know, it's better than completely like watching the UFC. It, it is cool watching the UFC and hearing the punches and hearing, you know, everything, but you definitely miss the crowd noise and miss some of the things. So for baseball, I think it's actually not a bad thing. Uh, who's your, who's your baseball team? Uh, honestly, I play fantasy baseball. So whoever is on my team, but I, I grew up as an Atlanta Braves fan. Back when, you know, they were good back in the 80s. Um, and then they stunk for about 20 years, and they finally became relative, relative again. Um, but, yeah, it's, after in the last probably six or seven years, it's all been about fantasy baseball, fantasy football. So I don't really have a allegiance really strongly in NFL or Major League Baseball because it's just whoever I draft. All of a sudden, I'm, they're, my, I'm, they're my best friends. I, I feel like you can appreciate this. So I play fantasy football and fantasy baseball as well. Hate fantasy football with a passion, but I'm never going to quit playing it because it's, you know, on any given week, there's so much luck involved. I've won fantasy baseball eight of the last nine years because there's so many games. To your point about poker, over the course of the long haul, you're going to win if you have the better team. And that's just not the case with fantasy football. Oh, I agree completely. Yeah, I do really well in fantasy baseball. I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, a couple of buddies of mine, they made some really like big trades, like trading trout and stuff, trying to trying to beat me. They made super teams, and um, the the last day of the season, I ended up winning. It was weird, got down to the wire, but you know, I just I kept uh, um, Altuve and um, uh, I, I had a really good. I always have good pitching. Pitching is always my strength. But yeah, I always do really well in in baseball. Like you said, it's. It's the grind, you know, because half, half the field sort of loses interest after the first, you know, month um, where, you know, in the NFL, yeah, it, people seem to be more in tune to it, at, you know, the whole, the whole season at least. And it's weird because when you play the football, people will, if you don't 
set your lineup or you don't follow it, people will shame you for it. In baseball, you can do that. And people just sort of like, okay, well, whatever. He's, he's checked out. And they just don't think, I mean, it's like they don't shame you for it because I guess that's such a long season that they just let, up, they just let it go. At least the, the leagues that I play in anyways, they just sort of let it go. You're so, preaching the gospel so right you now. You yeah. set your lineup in NFL. <laughs> But that's why, yeah, baseball is a lot better for fantasy purposes if you have the discipline to stick with it. Do you do the crazy team names for fantasy sports? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. You know, I usually just go with the whatever the popular one, you know, not the popular, but I try to find the, you know, whoever my top pick is, is usually my, my team name and stuff in deviation, you know, run DMC or, um, you know, yeah, what if, if um, I can't remember who I was last season. It's been, you know. It's the thing is I have, you know, usually eight or nine teams. So I want to keep them all separated. So um, I'll have one, a couple like the bigger buy-ins are the specific names and the others are just like moneymaker team A. There you go. So if you're, if I'm playing in a 20, if I'm playing in a $20 league with, with your friends, my name, my name is moneymaker team A. But if I'm like, you know, run DMC, cause I drafted, what's his name from Carolina. I'm so freaking out of football right now. Then, uh, yeah, McCaffrey. It's going to be one of my bigger, like McCaffrey. Yeah. Yes. It's sad. I can't remember a football player's name anymore. That's how far out of the loop I am right now. But you'll remember a pocket pair of fives that that just lost you, you know, something. Yeah, and, and honestly, if we ever get sports back, you know, I can start studying. Like, I'm not even studying fantasy football right now because I don't want to get into it and be disappointed if it doesn't come back. I mean, yeah, baseball's been bad enough. Um, I, I don't want to think about, I, you know, unfortunately, I'm, I'm one of these guys that thinks that we're going to be shut down for a while sports-wise. I, I don't think we're going to have football in the fall. As much as I want it, I just don't think we can we can have it. But I'm gonna keep praying and just not gonna study anything until and get my hopes up. Do you remember a pitcher named Jake Peavy for San Diego? Of so yeah, of this course. was like nine years ago. He was like a Cy Young winner at the time. He was the ace of my pitching staff at that point in time. So my team name was It Burns When I Peavy because it was just hilarious. <laughs> And I don't even know how long Jake Peavy has been retired, but because I've won that league so many times, I'm just obligated to keep that team name forever. That's a really good team name. And anybody that, you know, has played fantasy baseball knows who he is. I mean, your average baseball player fan might not, but yeah, if you play fantasy baseball, you know who he is. So what's I like that team name, by the way. I don't have any clever ones like that. That is really good. I like that one. What are we going to do? So they, I guess uh, just yesterday they voted to have the 60-game season. I don't even know how a fantasy baseball season would work with 60 games. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. Um, it might end up being like the NFL. People actually pay attention for 60 games, and it's more competitive. I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, we'll see what Yahoo and ESPN and big uh, I'm, I'm one of the dinosaurs I'm waiting for lineups to come out, all that stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking to see what the season longs people will do. Well, I, I've, I've kept you for long enough, so I'm going to let you run. But uh, what's what's the plan for you when and, and if everything, you know, gets back to normal? Well, if we get back to normal, I'm going to start going back on the road and playing poker again and, and getting back into, you know, basically just what I was doing before, which is just traveling the world, playing poker and, um, you know, watching sports on a daily basis, which has been the weirdest thing to me. You know, I haven't even noticed I haven't watched sports. I mean, so much of my time was spent previous watching sports and, uh, you know, it's weird. I'm going to be a little bit more selective, I think, with my sports going forward. I'm going to, you know, not just watch anything that's on TV anymore. But other than that, yeah, hopefully everything will kind of go back to normal, I hope. We'll see. Playing it by ear. 
Well, Chris, certainly appreciate the time. You kind of got me into the poker craze in 2003. It was absolutely incredible and, and edge of your seat stuff watching you win the World Series. And uh, it was really great for you to take time out of your day to join me today. Well, Colby, I appreciate the interview. It's been a blast. Good talking to you. And like I tell everybody, I'm either sorry or you're welcome for the poker introduction uh, back in 2003. So be well, brother. Hopefully uh, you get back to doing some sports soon. And uh, maybe, maybe we can do some fantasy baseball or football next, you know, whenever it comes back. Hey, I'll send you the I, invite, but you can't, take, you can't take it burns when I PV. That's <laughs> already in the back of my mind, brother. Don't worry. <laughs> I love it, man. Like hey, it. and we, we got to make a bet. If if Oklahoma and Tennessee end up playing, we got to we got to make some sort of wager. God, I hope the spread's big. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll do it. But the spread might be big. <laughs> All right, my man. I appreciate it. Stay safe. Uh, you too. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Once again, big thanks to Chris Moneymaker for joining us on the Colby Daniels podcast. As always, I really appreciate you guys checking out the podcast. And if you would do me a big favor, I would appreciate you subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. It's a huge help. That's it for this episode of the Colby Daniels podcast. Have fun, stay safe, and I love you guys.